the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To quote the old Sunday school hymn, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. So the question then is, as we begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace, does your life really show it? If so, how? Those are the questions we're hoping to help you answer today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, featuring the teaching staff of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. And today, Stephen Cloud joins us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Now, what are the evidences of sanctification? What are those evidences that we really are walking in Christ and we have that assurance of salvation? Let's catch up with Stephen now in today's edition of Way of Grace. In the epistle of John, John, 1 John chapter 2, the apostle opens up with the privilege, the privilege and entitlement that the believer has when they actually sin. He opens up and he says, And these things write I unto you, in verse 1, that you sin not. That you sin not. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. His aim for writing the previous portion that portion that has to do with a honorable view of sin. That if you're a true believer, you will not say that you have no sin. You will also not say that you have not sinned. You hold to this reality that we are sinners saved by grace. And what we do when we sin is we call sin what God calls sin, we confess our sins to Him, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we sin, this is the privilege of the believer, is that we have an advocate with the Father, an advocate, a divine defense attorney that has been appointed by our God and our Father. We have one that takes the case of those who are not innocent, but guilty. But guilty. He is the one that is for his people. Jesus is his name. He shall save his people 
from their sins. He is God with his people. And he is the righteous one having a righteous cause. As our high priestly advocate at the right hand of God, whoever lives to make intercession on the behalf of his people. This is the privilege of the believer. This is our heritage. The heritage of those who trust and treasure the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I need an advocate. I need an advocate at all times. I need Christ every hour. And this is the advocate that we have. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom, our sanctification, and our redemption. And he has a righteous cause. Taking the case of all those who trust in him who are actually guilty of committing sin. And he has a righteous argument. His argument is one that prevails with God. His argument is one that also brings comfort and assurance to the hearts of those who are in the pit. He has an argument that causes the gavel to snap in the courtroom of heaven against the accuser of the brethren and against the thoughts that may come into our minds, the doubts, the fears. His argument is that he is our propitiation. Meaning that all of the sins of all of his people that they would ever commit from the cradle to the grave has been paid for. Has been paid for. That Jesus Christ satisfied the requirements of God's Vengeance, justice, the requirements of his law. He became a curse for us, though we deserve the curse, right? We deserve all of the covenant curses poured out on us. We deserve the wrath of God and he became a curse for us by hanging on the tree. And it was on the tree that he bore our sins in his body. He suffered the penalty and the punishment of our sins upon the tree. And he died, having no sin of his own, but bearing the sin of all those that he calls his own. And before he died, he said, it is finished. God shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Jesus Christ, his argument is that he is the satisfaction for our sins. 
He is the Lamb in heaven, crowned with glory and honor, because God rose him from the dead, proving that he accepted his offering. And that the word of God is true, that sacrifices and offerings of bulls and goats, God did not require, but a body he prepared him. Burnt offering and sin offering, he had no desire. Then here our Lord, as he's coming into the world, he says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is written in my heart. He's the only one that could. The appraisal of his blood that was shed by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. The appraisal, the worth, the value of his sacrifice to the Father is that it satisfied God's requirements for righteousness and condemnation on our behalf. And Jesus Christ successfully removed sin and he brought about remission of sin and eternal reconciliation of the sinner back to his God. It is out of righteousness that God punishes Christ on the cross and saves those for whom Christ died from hell. His blood is so precious and priceless that if it were the will of God for Jesus to die... For every individual sinner that ever has, does, and ever will exist, that this one-time sacrifice would be more than sufficient to accomplish it. If what God intended for Christ's death was for the sins of every sinner without exception to be punished and put away, there would be no hell for anyone from among Adam's fallen race. If it was God's intent to put away all the sins of all men that would ever exist from Adam to the last man, if it was his intent, that's how valuable his blood is. And if we're biblically sound, we must deny this reality because hell is a reality, right? There are people there right now, right? There are people headed there, right? See, in our text here in 1 John chapter 2, when he uses the term, the whole world, you see that? Where he says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is an all-inclusive statement that magnifies the value and the extent of Christ's death beyond his Jewish audience to which John writes. So turn with me to a few passages. There's a couple of correlative passages. You know, I want to deal with this here as we enter into our text, uh, verse 3. Go to John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start at verse 14. And we'll also go to, uh, to John 11 as well. And we'll also touch John 17 and go back to our text. But as you're turning to John chapter 3, 
as you're turning to John chapter 3, understand that we're dealing with the foundation of our assurance. The foundation of our assurance. How can we know that Jesus is our advocate, our advocate? This is designed to bring about comfort to those who believe. Verse 14, this is our Lord. This is what He says. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. So now we have our Lord preaching the gospel to Nicodemus, and He uses a historical context in Numbers 21. So we know that He's coming from the book of the law, the Torah. And He is quoting from there as a text to, to, to minister to Him the necessity of Christ coming into the world, having to lay down his life for the sins of many, right? In the context, when you consider Numbers 21, you're dealing with the Jews. Particularly, this is the Jews, this is Israel. When that serpent was lifted up, it was in context of a covenant curse that was poured upon them, fiery serpents that came and bit them, because of their sin, because of their rebellion. And Moses lifts up a serpent after he prays to God and he prays on their behalf that God would show mercy to them and God instructs Moses to get a brazen serpent and to put it on a pole and to lift it up and whosoever looks at that, that brazen serpent on the pole, they will live. They will live. And the Lord says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must. It is a necessity, absolutely necessary, that the Son be lifted up. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he uses a text that is Jewish in its nature, that deals with the people of Israel. He's dealing with the Jewish Pharisee. Nicodemus. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what, what we have here in verse 16 is the display of of God's love. We have the display of God's love and we have the design of God's love. The display and the design of God's love. When you see here in verse 16 it says for God so loved the world. What we see there is the display of his love because in the Greek grammar it really says for God in this manner loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes, that is the believing ones, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The term world here 
in John 3.16 is the world that does not just... In, it's, it's the world of believers. 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 Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. For God in this manner loved the world. It's beyond the Jewish narrative. It goes into the world. And anyone from any nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we'll get into the design in, in a little bit here. But turn with me also to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And again, I'm using the Gospel of John because John is the author and he does a good job. He's a really good teacher and he does a good job of being consistent with his terms. By the way, the the term world is used at least seven different ways in the Gospel of John. Sometimes when we think about the term world, you know, we, we, we think about every person, every person without exception in the world. This is what we think about when we hear the term world. Okay, but you're, you're going to find out shortly that when John uses the term world, he doesn't mean everyone without exception. World is actually the term cosmos is defined by its context. You'll see it very clearly in John 17, but we'll deal with John chapter 11 first because John chapter 11, starting at verse 47, is a correlative passage to, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. At verse 47, this is what the Word of God reads. It says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them named Caiaphas Being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient, it is absolutely necessary for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. You see that? And here's John's insight to this. By the Spirit of God. It says in verse 51, And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus Jesus should die for that nation. What nation? Israel, right? Y'all follow me? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Israel. And then verse 52. Here we go. And not for that nation only, but that he should gather together in one the children of God that, are, that were scattered abroad. This is a correlative passage of verse 2. When he says Jesus Christ is the propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. This verse is correlating. But turn with me to uh, John 17. John 17. Because this is even more striking to me. And then we'll go back to our text. Because the redemption of Christ is very particular. If the Lord Jesus Christ put away sin, satisfied divine justice, so that God is no longer angry, and for those who, who, who were atoned for, 
God in his righteousness will not punish again? If this is true, then we must not believe that that the whole world there has to do literally with every single individual without exception. There's a context to it. And in our text in 1 John chapter 2, we're, we're viewing a high priestly advocate at the right hand of God, right? And in John chapter 17, what we're dealing with is a high priestly prayer, okay? A high priestly prayer. And he's interceding on the behalf of his people. And here, here, here's what he says in verse 9. In verse 9 of John 17, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the what? Okay. So at the very least, the term world in this text is not every single person without exception, right? The them are not even a part of the world. The them referring to the apostles in this particular text, he's saying, I'm praying for them. So he's dealing with the elect. The elect. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus does not pray for the world, is he their advocate? You see? Is he their high priest? Is he making atonement for their sins? This is important to think about. I pray for, th- I, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me. For they are thine. For they are thine. And then, if you jump down uh, to verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's, if you believe today, he prayed for you in that text. Before you had a being. Over 2,000 years ago, he prayed for you that would believe in the word of the apostles, which is the word of the gospel. He's very particular in his prayer, in his intercession, and he's very particular in his atoning work. And those of us who have this blessed privilege of having the only advocate with the Father whose name is Jesus Christ the righteous, who has the only argument that prevails with God, that trumps our doubting hearts and dismisses all cases of the accuser of the brethren. It is the privilege that it is the privilege that we as believers get to enjoy. We get to enjoy. Jesus Christ is the object of our assurance. God the Father is the source of our assurance. The Spirit of God is the one that brings about the evidences and proofs of this blessed assurance that Jesus, in fact, is mine. So what we're dealing with in our text, if you turn back to 1 John chapter 2, the content of what we're dealing with in verses 3 through 6 are the proofs and evidences, the evidences of assurance to enjoy this privileged promise that we have in Christ 
There must be evidences of grace manifested in our life. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand, featuring Stephen Clough from our teaching staff here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.